Hi, I'm Sheila. And I'm Hope. And we're two teachers. Coming to talk to you about the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of teaching. Hello, teacher friends, and welcome to the Two Teacher Podcast. Today, I'm flying solo and talking about using creativity in your classroom. Now, a lot of people think that creativity is all about art, all about painting, drawing, making something, like crafting. And to be honest, it can be about that, but it's also the generation of ideas, thinking, brainstorming, coming up with things you want to explore or ways to create a product. And that's what we're talking about today. And my hope is from this podcast, you will get some ideas that you can use in your classroom. Now, according to Edutopia, yeah, I looked up an article on creativity and the article is by Ben Johnson. And the date on that is January 2019. And he says that creativity is really the most sought after skill. And I would absolutely agree with that. If you're looking at engineering firms or some of these top companies in the nation, creativity is going to be so important because you're going to have to problem solve. You're going to have to come up with ideas to suit whatever project you're working on. We value creativity in music, in our entertainment and technology. So it's really important to our everyday life. And obviously, creativity is going to start with your imagination. Think about history. Think about if if you're a Trekkie, my dad used to make me watch it every weekend. Think back to the flip communicators. And that's all the way back in 1966. And you might think, well, There was nothing like that back then, and of course there wasn't. But fast forward to 1996, and Motorola comes up with a flip phone, which is exactly like that Star Trek flip communicator. Also think back to the mid-1800s. Augusta Ada King envisioned a language for computers that didn't even exist. You know, they didn't even have the computers. But today, she's honored as the founder of modern programming languages. So history shows us that things can be created in our imagination before we even have the ability to make them concrete, to make the actual product. So another example that I think of when we're talking about creativity is James Cameron's Avatar. He started out with that script and that idea in 1994. But when he wanted to make the film, which was after Titanic in 1999, he realized he couldn't because the technology just wasn't there. So that movie didn't come out until 2009 because what he envisioned, what he created, just could not be supported by the technology. And I think we see this all through history. I think this is part of the beauty of inventing and creating is we are not limited by what exists. Instead, we can use our imagination to 
think of anything. So when we're thinking of creativity in the classroom, I want to just throw out some buzzwords for you to consider. We've got convergent thinking, which is the ability to evaluate and select the most appropriate or useful idea. Now, this can be a solution, a product, but it has to be the most appropriate for that situation. And then you've got divergent thinking, which is the ability to produce. And this is what we're really going to drill down on to produce a wide selection of novel ideas and solutions. Now the key here is novel, because what you'll find is a lot of kids come up with the same idea and you want them to keep thinking until they come up with something that's really original. So divergent thinking is subdivided into four or five components, and we're going to talk about these. Originality, fluency, flexibility, elaboration, and then I I want to also just give a little bit of time to brainstorming, which really combines all of those others. So let's start with stages of creative thinking. First, you're going to be in the preparation stage, and that's really understanding the problem or what you're creating something to fill, that need. And then the next stage would be incubation of the problem, thinking about the problem, thinking about what you need, thinking about how to work towards solving it. And then illumination is really coming up with those solutions, those ideas. And then revision is going to be to test the solutions or ideas. Think of editing and revising stage for whatever you create. I also want to divide creativity into two different categories, verbal and figural. So verbal creativity, and this is ways to really flex that muscle of creativity when you're thinking verbal. It could be instant types. So this could be where you have the students for a morning warm-up. I would actually, I would have one day a week where you always did a creativity warm-up when the kids walked in. You know that paper on their desk so they can quickly get started and get your day rolling in a very efficient way. So one example of instant verbal creativity is list all the round things in the classroom to make a list. And if it has to fit a category. Unusual uses could be tape dispenser. List all the different uses of the tape dispenser. Or pencil. List all the different uses of a pencil. Product improvement. Refine and change how we use a product. So maybe think of a backpack. How can we make that backpack better? What would you add to that backpack to really make it something a student could not live without? And of course, that can include things like a bus pass holder. And, you know, they've already got like water bottle holders on there. But what if there was extra padding to keep your drinks cold? Forced association. I really enjoy these. So you have to create something that includes two things that are absolutely not related. So soap and salt. What can you make out of soap and salt? And of course, the first thing that pops into my mind is some type of a body scrub or a foot scrub using salt and then having the soap in there as well to clean yourself. So some type of scrub that you would use in the bathroom. And then also creative writing would fall under verbal creativity, just completing a story and having ideas that 
are not commonplace, something that really surprises the reader. So just to explain the different areas of divergent thinking, the first one is originality, and this involves the production of ideas that are unique or un unusual. So when we talk to kids about coming up with a list or coming up with a solution to a problem, we want them to pick not the first thing or, or maybe even the second or third. We want their idea to be different from other kids, so something that is unique. And then we want the kids to put that information together in a new way. So it just has to be something that not everybody's going to have that same idea. Elaboration. This involves adding as many different details to your idea or drawing as possible. And with this, you're going to use this with figural creativity. So a lot of times what I like to do uh, with my students is I give them some type of abstract shape or drawing. I mean, it could be an upside down question mark. And then they have to create something around that initial mark on the paper and they have to give it a title and i've had teacher friends say that's just a big waste of time but what you're really doing is working on the ability to generate ideas and that's not really clearly seen by other people if you if you slap these on a, a bulletin board you're going to have to explain why this is a valuable activity. Kids in general usually love figural elaboration activities for creativity because they in general like to draw. Fluency is the ability to come up with a large number of ideas. So a lot of times if you're having them make a list, that's where they're really going to work hard to try to get as many as possible. And a lot of kids are going to just hit a brick wall here. They're going to say, I can't think of anything. And those are the ones that clearly need some work on creativity, on that brainstorming ability. And flexibility, this involves the ability to see things from different points of view or from, from as many different approaches and or strategies as possible. So you really want them to see, oh, well, maybe people in wheelchairs might use this product this way, but young children might use this product this way. Can they change their point of view to whoever is seeing what they've created? Now, when we're looking at Bloom's taxonomy, we start with knowledge. And knowledge is just really the, the lowest level you can get to. That's going to be your memorizing and things like that. And to be honest, a lot of people think, oh, well, because that's so low, that's not really necessary for our higher kids. It kind of is, because here's the thing. I teach gifted, and my students cannot memorize for a test because they've never had to. They already know the information. So when they get to probably high school or possibly college, they're not going to know how to study for tests. So having them memorize things, even though it's the lowest level skill on Bloom's taxonomy, it still has value. The second level skill is understanding. That's going to be, can a student summarize what they're doing? Can they classify things? And classify is an, is an easy one 
to pull into creativity. Give a category and then have kids list things from that category. Comparing and contrasting is under the understand level. And a lot of people think, oh, well, if I have them compare and contrast, I'm really working up at a high level skill. No, you're not. Inferring, paraphrasing, all those fall under understanding. And then apply, we're working up to the third level there. And that's going to be where they solve something, they use different materials, they sketch, they teach, they articulate, discover, transfer what they know about one thing and use it with something new. Now, I would like to caution you to be careful about the teaching part because a lot of teachers think, oh, well, I'm upping my game here if I have my gifted student teach my lower student how to do this math or how to write a poem. And really, I know a lot of kids will be excited about that and be happy about it. But the sad part is that gifted student is learning nothing new. What you really need to do is if you're working on a poetry unit, challenge them to write a poem like Robert Frost's The Road Not Taken. Challenge them to do higher level work so they're still learning. Moving up another level to a higher level skill is analyzing. And in this, you're going to be making connections, uh, you can be illustrating, you can draw conclusions, you can also categorize, take things apart. So you're really looking things over and, and kind of coming to your own conclusion about what's going on or what that item is. Evaluate means to criticize, to judge, to appraise, to value, to plan or reframe or to grade. So if you want to add and evaluate to your unit or your lesson, have the kids grade themselves. And then you tell them what you would give them as a grade. So and I, to be honest, I usually like to use A, B, C, D, F. And what I'll do is an A is beautiful work, nice and neat, follow directions, got the t content that I want in there. A B is it doesn't look nice and neat. And then a C did not follow directions. And that's that's how I grade them. That's kind of how it makes it easy for me. And if I'm not sure on the neatness, I'll ask, I'll ask a teacher who teaches with me or next to me or across the hall. And that's what I use for evaluate if I'm wanting the students to self evaluate, which I think is always a great activity. A friend of mine used to do nonfiction pages, and they were gorgeous. I'm the one who taught her the skill, but she took it so much further and did so much with it. And they were beautiful. And what she would bring out before the kids ever even learned the aspects of creating a nonfiction poster is she would bring out old samples from students in the past and they would judge them or critique them. And this way the kids knew exactly what was expected of them and have a better understanding from a visual example of what do I want mine to look like? And then of course, the highest level, which is what we're talking about today, create. So you're going to design, you're going to modify, develop, rewrite, collaborate, invent, and all of those things are at the highest level because you're using all of the other Bloom's taxonomy levels or skills to get to this top level. And that's why creating or creativity is really a sought after skill. Just to give you some ideas, really easy ways to slide in some creativity 
is if you're gone, if you have a sub for the day, one of the things you can do is say, where is Mrs. Brown? What is she doing? And then at the top, I always put use divergent thinking to brainstorm activities that Mrs. Brown might be doing today while she is away from the classroom. And then, of course, I have in parentheses, all ideas must be school appropriate. And then I'll make numbered lines down to probably about, I don't know, 35, 36. And then at the bottom of the paper, I put on there what creativity is and what fluency is. And these are kind of fun to read back through when I get back from being gone from school. And then a figural creativity, it can be any sign whatsoever. So it could even be, you know, some of the Greek symbols, just really anything. And you want them to focus on originality, which is the ability to think of new and unusual ideas going beyond the common or obvious idea. And elaboration, enhancing any idea by adding details. So on a figural creativity, you're going to want to give them a set amount of time, like 10 minutes to work. And I would definitely not start with more than that because you'll have kids sitting around saying I'm done when they haven't really focused on the elaboration or adding the details. And then at the bottom, you want to have a couple of lines for the title. And you really want to talk to them about the difference between a concrete and abstract title. So the abstract title is something that is not seen in the picture. It's going to be information that you had no idea was part of the picture. So an example might be maybe the student used the symbol to create a picture of a child and a grandparent fishing. And the title that would be abstract might be the last time I spent time with my grandfather before he passed away or something like that. It has to be information that's not in the picture that kind of makes you go, oh, I didn't even think of that. And then another one would be forced association. And this could be where you have two categories and students take something from each category and create something new. So directions might go something like originality, the ability to think up new or unusual ideas, go beyond the usual or obvious. Choose one word from each of the two categories. After you have selected the two words to work with, draw a new creation unlike any seen before by man. Keep in mind that it should be within the realm of being possible. At the bottom of the page, give your creation a title and brief description. And then the two categories in this instance were clothing, uniform, shirt, pants, shoes, hat, written communication, computer, magazine, newspaper, paper, pencil. So that's just another example. So if you go to Teachers Pay Teachers and go to my store, which has nothing for sale except free things. I only have three free things posted, but one of them you're going to want to look into. So the, the website is teacherspayteachers.com slash store slash love dash my dash lesson and that should take you to my store and my very favorite free thing on my store is project-based learning and it's a huge list of ideas that give kids choice when they're creating 
a project for whatever topic you're learning about. So let me give you some examples. One might be a speech. And what I would do personally is I would show them an example of Malala's speech to the United Nations. And so they could write a speech. Now, if you're using something like Seesaw to communicate with your parents, you could easily have them give that speech on Seesaw and then you, the parents could see it. You could also post it on a Facebook page if you have one of those for your classroom. And you could also post it on a website if you maintain a website. Other ideas, and I'm just going to kind of go through these. This list took me days to generate. And every single idea that I'm going to say to you has either a tutorial or a website. So that's why I'm really encouraging you to go get this free resource to kind of help you pull in project-based learning, but also give students that choice. Doing a graphic novel or a comic, a lot of kids are very visual like that. Um, that kind of gets them excited about writing if they're not. Blog article, a lot of kids who love writing, a very current way of introducing that is for kids to write blogs. Now, I will tell you that kid blog is an option, but it is something you have to pay. So it, it might be something where they just write the article and put a picture on there. Please make sure it's copyright free. And pixabay.com is one of the best places to get pictures that are public domain. So teach your kids that early. They can go ahead and write that blog and you can slap it into a web page. You could have kids submitting blogs if you want to do that. Or of course, Seesaw is that other option. Video trailers. And if you have iPads in the, in the room, it's really easy to use iMovie. And they can have some type of video trailer for a movie coming out or a documentary coming out about what they're learning about. Collage of pictures or words. Timelines, I love a good timeline, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. And there are some really good generators on the internet. Painting or drawing, a poem, song, or rap. To be honest, I just don't think we use enough poetry. If I was back in the regular classroom, I would be using poetry, well, when we had the basal readers, there was a poem at the end of every unit. So poetry is a really easy, down and dirty, quick way to teach vocabulary, comprehension, symbolism, figurative language. You could have the kids, now I would do this with higher level kids, design their own website. And there are a couple of places that I cite that they can use. My favorite is not Google Sites. I just don't feel like I'm able to be as creative as I want to be. So I tend to lean toward Weebly.com, a 3D scene. And there are... 3D websites where kids can generate something, debate, political cartoons. You're going to have to really have a discussion here about political cartoons, though. And there are several resources on the web for that, but most of them are not kid-friendly. So make sure that if you're introducing political cartoons into your, your unit, and I'm thinking right now, anything historic would be great for political cartoons. I'm talking Civil War, Revolutionary War, a lot of those things. Political cartoons would be so perfect for that. But just make sure they're kid appropriate and that you've explained the different areas, the different 
purposes of a political cartoon. TV news report, what if story? Oh my gosh, I like to write. I have several kids in my class who love to write. What if stories are amazing. I would use this as enrichment to be honest. So if the kids already chose their project and got that done, because you know you have those in your classroom, I would then tell them to create a what if story where the main characters are from either that time period or from the world of, here's here are some examples, from the world of Harry Potter, living in during the Civil War, are experimenting with plants and photosynthesis. So, I mean, all of that can be pulled through writing, which I love. Public service announcement, and then you can really get into what are public service announcements, why are they valuable, design an app. And I also have on my resource a 10-step guide to help with that, to kind of plan for that. Create a podcast. I am actually teaching a class right now called Podcasting, and I can't even tell you how excited the kids are to do everything for their podcast. And the funny thing is, I have this one little boy, and he's doing it on Ben 10, which is a cartoon, right? And he said, oh, no, I already know what music I want to use. And I said, it has to be copyright free. It has to be public domain. You can't use the music from the cartoon. Someone can sue you. And then he said, well, I already know what I want for my cover art. And I said, again, it can be from the cartoon that is copyrighted. I hope to have that particular unit posted on my Teachers Pay Teachers store by summer. So I'm hoping to get more units posted. I just don't want to post anything while I'm teaching because it takes a lot of time. A breakout room. So kids could go ahead and plan and create a breakout room that has clues to information that you're learning. Google Earth Project. I love Google Earth. So if there's any way I can tie geography into it, I absolutely do my best to, to put that in there. I feel like kids are really overall lagging behind when it comes to geography. And for me, as an adult, geography really helps me make connections. So if I'm listening to the news, and they talk about where it is, I automatically have an idea of where that city that state is. When it comes to history, it connects to a map. So I love anything that has to do with Google Earth. Bloxel Games. Now this is an actual kit that you can get on amazon.com. And it's creating a video game around your topic. And I've included instructions and a scoring guide because I needed those. But you can usually have, I know a lot of teachers do an Amazon wish list at the beginning of the year. I would definitely put two Bloxel games on my wish list. I, I think they run, I want to say in the 20s. And have teachers donate those to your classroom. And again, I would make this an enrichment activity. And one thing you're going to have to be aware of is you're going to have those kids that just rush through and, and give you not the best quality of work, not the best quality of effort. And what I would do is I would just say, if I look at this twice and it is not up to the standard I'm expecting, then the Bloxel game is not an option for you because you're not putting the time and effort into the original project. And I would give them a limit on how many times they could bring it to me. And that has worked very well for kids in my classroom who don't always give the best effort. 
Then you could do Google Slides. I feel like Google Slides are usually overdone. So I would probably ask the class how many have created Google Slides in the past. And you can go ahead and include animation. It's going to make a lot of slides where, you know, the little figure walks across the, the slide. It's just a way to make Google Slides a little bit more interesting. But again, if they could do something besides Google Slides, I would encourage it. A lot of times kids will lean toward what they're good at. So if they've made 10 Google Slideshows, they're going to pick that for number 11. And you really need to call them on that and say, hey, I want you to challenge yourself. I want you to learn new skills. And then another idea would be stop motion. Skills-based, I love canva.com. So if you want to make a flow chart or do some mind mapping, that's what I would definitely use. And to be honest, I might include canva.com in making like logos. So if your if your students did like a podcast or a website or something like that, canva.com is going to be a really great supporting skill. So those are just some ideas for really using creativity and allowing kids to create in your classroom. And I hope you consider using some of these tips and ideas. Anytime you give kids choice, that's going to increase motivation, whether it be choice in topic or choice in product. Give them the opportunity to create something that they're proud of, that they love, and that they can present to the whole class. Okay, friends. Well, until next time, I've really enjoyed this topic. I hope you have too. And I'll see you back here next time.